Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're transitioning now to a a new series uh, this month from Courageous Generosity, the focusing on hope has come. And uh, we're going to talk about hope today. And it's uh, definitely, uh, of course, ties in with the season that we're in. I mean, Christmas season, you know, children tend to focus on what they're going to receive. So right now, you know, they're wishing and hoping for different things, you know. And, and uh, you know, you can go on Amazon.com and create your wish list, and then people can just go there and buy it and have it shipped to you. It's uh, real simple, you know. It's like, wow, that's easy. Uh, we just did that yesterday, in fact. Uh, <laughs> but uh, adults in this season tend to focus more on what they're going to give. And uh, whether it's a real heartfelt, like, oh, I just want to bless someone, or whether it's like, well, we got all these people to buy for, check off the list, let's get it all done. By the way, I recommend Amazon.com. It's cool for that as well. <laughs> There's other sites as well. But, but uh, I- I'm actually going to ask you to help me with something this morning, because I'd, I'd like to kind of do a dual kind of thing, where you're kind of listening to this message in two ways at the same time. Because on the one hand, we're God's kids and we need for him to continually be pouring grace into us and we need more of his hope within us. But then we also need to be focusing on how we can share that hope with people that are around about us. And the whole Live Love campaign that's gone through the fall, I think has been just a God season and God thought for us. And we wanna in this season continue our focus on who are the people that God has put within my reach that I can bless in some way, that I can share his love. And we wanna focus particularly on hope and sharing hope with people during this season. You think you can do that this morning? You can kind of listen both ways, like, hey, I'm God's kid, I need more hope myself, but also, you know, I want to be an adult about this, I want to pass it on, I want to have enough from the Lord that there's some extra that I can pass on to others and and be an encourager and be a person who instills hope in the people around me. I think, uh, I didn't realize this before, I've always liked Christmas wreaths, how many like Christmas wreaths? You know, it's kind of like, I mean, if you're in Oregon, you like green, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Uh, but, you know, doing stuff with greenery, you know, making wreaths, we always get a Christmas wreath. And, uh, and I didn't realize that, I mean, there's different ideas where this all came from, but one of the more prominent ones is that it started back in the 16th century in Germany, where both Protestants and Catholics uh, would make a, a Christmas wreath to celebrate uh, their hope in Christ. And it was particularly focused on hope. And so the circle is like, you know, the symbol of eternity just goes on and on and on. And that our hope in Christ is not just temporary, but our hope in Christ is ongoing, that it goes on and on, that our hope in Christ carries into eternity. And, you know, I, I think that's a cool thing. There's actually a quote from back then that says, symbolizing eternal hope, the wreath goes round and round. And where it starts or ends cannot be found. Woven of things that grow for life and hung for holiday delight, the wreath must be left in place from Advent through Twelfth Night. I don't really know what that's about, Twelfth Night thing, but anyway. Anyway, the the whole idea here of this season involves not only love, and we tend to focus on love a lot, and that's appropriate, but I want to talk about the connection between love and hope today. I want to begin with a verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. This verse is not only known to Christians, it's definitely known to, uh, it's quoted in secular uh, settings as well. Now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I think of those three 
we tend to focus, Christians tend to focus on faith more and, we, and everybody tends to focus on love more. And I think hope's kind of like the forgotten virtue in the sandwich there. You know, it's, it's uh, not that it's never referenced, but I, I'd like to kind of elevate this sense of hope today. I know the greatest is love and Paul said that. And, but uh, I want to talk about how hope actually relates to these, particularly love. Hope relates to faith in this regard. Hope is faith's view of the future. If you're going to have real faith in Christ today, then you're going to, when you project that into the future, it's going to be hope. Faith is hope's view of the future. And then when we tie it into love, one of the ways to do this is that hope is the proof of love's sincerity. If you want to know, is love real? Is it genuine? This love that someone's giving me, you know, is it real? It's going to have hope attached to it. Hope is like the proof of the genuineness of that love. First Corinthians thirteen seven says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. About 10 years ago, in, um, actually this happened in Wilsonville, just uh, south of town here, uh, Gary and uh, Jeannie Hamblin, who are from Dundee, Oregon, which is uh, outside of Port Little Ways, uh, they'd been married 14 years. Uh, Gary uh, had married Jeannie. She was a single mom with five young children. Her husband had left her for another man. And they had developed a relationship and, and then uh, had a wonderful marriage for 14 years. And um, it, was on a, it was on a crisp, cold you know, winter morning like what we were experiencing today, a little colder actually, because it was on January 16th. This is about 10 years ago. In Wilsonville, Gary stopped to uh, help two strangers who were pushing a pickup truck into a a gas station. And it was obvious the truck was out of gas. They were pushing it, needed help. So he pulled his car over, got out, went to, you know, help them push the pickup towards the the gas station. Well, what happened tragically and just unexpectedly, just out of nowhere, a car came and hit Gary. And uh, witnesses said that the windshield of the car was all frosted over, you know, like obviously the person didn't see him. And the car came and hit uh, Gary and uh, just horrifically, it just pinned him under the car and dragged him about 40 feet. Uh, Severed his left leg at the the level of his calf. Uh, His other leg was mangled. Uh, His... uh, his uh, arm was broken, his shoulder blade, his collarbone, five ribs were broken, both his lungs were punctured, um, and he ended up in the aftermath and the medical care, et cetera, emergency, he ended up losing both of his legs. Um, his wife, Jeannie, of course, rushes to the hospital, and when the doctors were, were done, you know, there were stitches all over his body, and it was just it was a horrific sight. But day after day, she took in the full trauma of it. She actually would bring a camera and take pictures and kept a diary. And the nurses would say, well, you know, this, this is not a pretty sight. You know, you maybe don't want to bring a camera. And she said, no, I need to understand how horrible this is so I can be there to tell him all that he went through. Well, three weeks after the accident, he still couldn't talk. He could only mumble a little bit. Nurses had to strap him down to the bed so that he wouldn't tear out the dozen tubes that were tending to parts of his body. 
At night, Jeannie would spend the night in the hospital with him and she would strap her hand to his hand and as she would then fall asleep and she would strap her hand to his because if he woke up in the night and started thrashing or, you know, she wanted to wake up to keep him from pulling the tubes out and obviously that wouldn't be good. And so finally the hospital stay was over and uh, she was able to take him home. Of course, at home, everything reminded him of what he'd lost. You know, they had to clean out all his shoes, which he wouldn't need anymore, and his Levi's, you know, et cetera. It wasn't until 29 days after the accident that Gary spoke clearly for the first time, which was Valentine's Day that year, 29 days later. It wasn't until April 16th that the driver of the car that hit him was fined $255 for careless driving. The driver's insurance only allowed for $25,000 of medical uh, expenses and they had no other assets. The driver never apologized. Gary, of course, had to come to terms with his new appearance and his new life. And one day he's in a store in a wheelchair buying boots for a relative of his. And obviously the salesman looked kind of weird at him like, you're buying boots, you know. Kids would come around and look at him, you know, and and he didn't know whether to, on his drive, you know, change the, his, stat, his height on his driver's license had been five foot eight, and should he subtract, subtract two feet from that now? You know, it's like one day a little boy was looking at him in the store, you know, without his, le- you know, his legs, and he kind of joked with the boy, he said, alligators got him. You know? <laughs> the little boy was like, oh. <laughs> Gary and Jeannie did, I mean, their, their life was, so altered. For the first six months, not a day went by that there weren't tears. He often had flashbacks to the accident, and sometimes he thought it'd been better if he would have died because now it was so difficult for Jeannie to care for him. They had to move to a smaller ground-level apartment, and they lost his income. They had huge medical bills. Gary did eventually learn to drive a car, and volunteers at the school where uh, Jeannie teaches. Through it all, this is what Gary says. I've learned some very important things about life. Life is precious. And I couldn't ask for any finer or better person than Jeannie. She's been there all the time and given me 100% of her devotion. Get this. Without her, I would have lost hope and died. Now, it's kind of a local, true, but very dramatic story, but I want us to think a little bit about the place of hope in our lives and how critical it is to have a source of hope that's real. Hope that goes beyond just wishing, hope beyond, you know, that's just something shallow or temporary. I think we also need to think of this. Not only is hope associated with love, as I just tried to illustrate even in that story, but hope is actually one of the main things that attracts people to Christianity, that attracts people to Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It doesn't say ask you for the reason for the faith that you have or the love that you have. Now, I'm not saying that those other qualities and many other virtues don't attract people to Christ. I think they do. But it's interesting that Peter zeroed in on hope. 
And he did it in a way that's like, people are going to ask. Well, somebody doesn't ask about something if it isn't obvious. Like, how would they know to ask about it? If your hope is secret, if it's silent, if it's something you carry deep within, if your hope in Christ is just a very private and personal thing, which the world around us wants us to keep it that way, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if the hope that you have is just not noticeable, then who's gonna ask about it? And Peter's assuming here that the hope we have in Christ is so going to affect us on the inside and on the outside, it's gonna be so obvious to people around us that we're people who have amazing hope that he's, he's, he's just anticipating that people are gonna be asking you why you have such hope. So be ready to explain it to them. Be ready to, to give an answer when they ask this question. Now, if people are observing our lives, I want you to think personally about this. What are they gonna ask about? In fact, what kind of person do you really wanna be around? It's, it's great to be around a person who has a lot of hope, faith and love, these virtues. Like if a, if a person just, because they're positive and they, they seem to believe the best and they seem, to, they seem to know something that the rest of us don't know, you know, like things are gonna turn out good, God is on the throne, there is provision coming, God can solve this problem. I mean, it's like, does anybody, if you have other qualities, do people ask about it? Like, why are you so pessimistic? I want to be like that, you know. I don't think people are going to ask us with a, like, oh, I want what you have. It's like, oh, why are you so cynical? <laughs> wow, how did you get so judgmental? I want to copy that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how are you so, now sometimes somebody, why are you so negative? But it's not because they want to be negative with you. You know, we're talking about a positive questioning here, like, how did you get that way? How did you find that? Where, where did you... Everybody tracking with what I'm talking about here? So is our hope in Christ obvious enough that people are asking us, where did we get that hope? Why do we think that way? Why do you have that attitude? How come you have that outlook? What are you drinking? (laughs) (laughs) Something new at Starbucks? No, that's just caffeine. It helps you with energy. I'm not sure it helps with hope. Anyway. Let me talk about the need for hope just a little bit. Uh, The world likes hope. It's a positive thing the world will talk about, although they don't define it quite as deeply and broadly as as God does in the Bible, which is something I'm gonna uh, get to in a little bit. But even smart people in the world, Albert Einstein knows a pretty smart guy. You know, I know he doesn't look like it, but, um, but he said, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. Learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. And, and that's kind of a common idea of hope. Uh, nothing wrong with that quote. I mean, it's great. He's a smart guy. But we tend to just think of, you know, okay, we live for now, hopes for tomorrow. But we only think of hope for tomorrow in a sense of wishing, like wishing for a better day. You know, it's, it's, it's not, we're not real confident with our hope. It's more like wishing than it is expecting confidently like it is in Scripture. Uh, inspirational writer, he wrote on prayer and other things, uh, Charles Allen died not too long ago. He said this, when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in the face of God. Wow. You are slamming the door in the face of God. 
if you say that a situation's hopeless or if you say a person is beyond hope. It's really true, isn't it? Why? Because God thinks he can save anybody. God thinks he can fix anything. God thinks he can provide for any need. God thinks he can bring peace to any confusing situation. God thinks he can heal whatever is broken and needs mending. You know, God, God is the focus and source of a hope that won't die. A hope that always believes. Love hopes all things. Why? Why? Because our focus is on God, not upon ourselves. We can't always pay the bills. We can't always heal the owies. We can't always raise somebody from the dead. We can't always turn a bad situation to a good situation. We don't know always how to reconcile a strange relationship, but God does. And so let's stop slamming doors in his face. Martin Luther King talked a lot about hope. One of his quotes I like is, he said that we need to carve a tunnel of hope through the dark mountain of disappointment. You know, when hope is needed most is when it's least likely to be there. It's in the dark mountain of disappointment. It's when against all odds, when everything is, seems hopeless, when there doesn't seem to be an obvious answer on the horizon, when it seems like only bad is coming. That's when hope is needed the most. And you know what? That's when God gets excited. It's when he's needed most that I think he gets most stimulated. And that's why he's allowed us to live in a fallen world that has produced a lot of darkness, that has produced a lot of pain and need, because then it's obvious life should be centered in him because he's the only solution to all of that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says that at that time you were without Christ. And it goes on saying, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, without Christ, there is no basis for real hope. You can wish, but not real hope, not without Christ. Before Christ and without Christ, we had no hope, we're without God. Now think of the world that Jesus came to 2,000 years ago. It was a world in which there was not a lot of hope. Times were desperate. Times were difficult. Foreign oppression. You think of the Middle East, what was going on at that time a couple thousand years ago. Economic hardship. I mean, we think we got it bad because our house prices is, are down and you know, you know, because the economy's been a little sideways for a few years now. I'm, I'm not saying you know, that that hasn't really been difficult, but if you compare it to the economic situation where Jesus came you know, in, uh, 2,000 years ago, it's, uh, it's like, how would you like it if the only long journey you were going to take at Christmas time was to go pay your taxes? Remember the Christmas story? It's like, you can pay your taxes online. I know we still fuss about it. But by the way, our tax rates were not even close to what they were in that day. We don't have near as many taxes to pay. And you don't have to travel a long ways just to pay your taxes. If we travel, it's to see grandma or go ski. <laughs> religion was a problem then. I mean, the religion was dead. It was oppressive. It, it, it just ripped hope from people's hearts rather than injecting it, you know, trying to keep all the rules. And it's just, you know, religion wasn't helping. Politics sure wasn't helping at that time. Politics of that day, pretty powerless, a lot of stalemate. There were all these factions in Palestine that were, they were caring more about their piece of the power pie than they were about actually bettering the lives of the people they were trying to rule. 
Sounds familiar. The health situation, curable diseases, leprosy, rampant. I mean, you know, that's cured today. We got other stuff, but it, like if you, if you just try to put yourself in the situation that Jesus was born into, there was a lot of need for a lot of hope. And what a fitting theme for this season. Hope has come. There's real hope that's really here. Now, how's Jesus going to come to a hopeless world today? A lot of reasons to be cynical, a lot of reasons to be down, a lot of reasons to not expect the best. Not everybody's all pumped about this season. Not everybody's excited. So how's Jesus going to come to this world today? It's through us. It's through us. The next time he shows up in person, it's to wrap things up. For right now, he wants to come to the world and bring hope through us. We're to be the ones who have been so affected by Christ's work in our life that we're overflowing with hope that is so obvious that people are even asking us about it so that then we can share the reason how we, how we got there so we can share. Listen, there is a God who's still on the throne. There is a person who cares about you more than anybody else. There's a person who can heal you. There's a person that can provide for you. There's a person that can calm your troubled soul. There's a person that can give you real peace, real joy, real fulfillment in this season. Now, what I wanna do for several minutes here, is I want to kind of expand our idea of hope to more biblical proportions. Because like I said, the world tends to have a wishing kind of idea of hope. But in the Bible, it means so much more than this. In fact, there's no one word in the Bible for hope. There's actually multiple words because this concept is so rich and so broad in scripture that it is, is God you know, inspired people to write this. They, there was a variety of words that were used to kind of round out this concept. So you know, I'm not gonna be quoting Hebrew and Greek words here to you, but I'm gonna at least list for you some of the concepts that are involved in the words for hope that are used in the Bible. And I'll give you some references. Main thing you should get from this is the scripture references that I'm gonna give you along the way because if you want to have your hope grow or someone else's uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word and the, these scriptures might be helpful. So here's some different uh, aspects of the concept of hope that's presented to us in scripture. The first one is that hope is a secure attachment, a secure attachment. In uh, a lot of people's, uh, one of their favorite verses from the Old Testament is Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, the Hebrew word that's translated hope there literally means a secure attachment. Uh, the root word means a cord, like in a rope. It's the same word that's used when Rahab at Jericho was supposed to have this scarlet cord that was hanging out her window, and that represents her hope of salvation for her family and for them to spare them, you know, when they uh, came into the land. This, this, uh, ho this hope is the cord. Hope is the cord, or the it's like a rope that ties something on and makes it securely attached. That's the meaning of the word. So is hope like that? I don't think wishing is some secure thing that's attached. And it, no, it's, it's like a secure attachment. Hope is the cord of expectancy that attaches desire to realization. I'll say that again. 
Hope is the cord of expectancy that attaches desire to realization. With wishing, there's no cord that's tied. It's like it either comes or it doesn't. It either happens or it doesn't. And I wish it would, but I can't, I can't be sure that it will. With hope, there's a secure attachment. I kind of think of it like, uh, like fishing. Have you ever done any fishing? Like with a line, not a net or dynamite or anything else, you know, but the, the kind, you know, with a line. You know, well, one of the things, you know, you learn when you're fishing is that when you get a fish on, it, it's kind of smart to keep the line tight. You know, and a fish may run out, you may have a drag set on your reel, you know, so he doesn't snap the line, you know, let him run away. But then you're, and, you know, what are you doing with fishing? You, you're keeping that line tight and you're reeling it in. And when you have a fish on it, it's not like when there's not a fish on, you know, the line's in the water just sitting there. It's like, okay, need some action. I never did like boat fishing or lake fishing. You know, I like the stream fishing, you know, where you can put the bait in and watch it float down to where the trout probably are sitting in the stream. And then if it's nothing happened there, just move on to another spot. You know, it's like I like action when I'm fishing. I, I never did just go fish just to drink beer and be stupid. <laughs> it's like I want to catch something, you know, it's like, because <laughs> I got to compete with the other guy and we're going to see who catches the most. You know, it's like, anyway, well, Hope is like having the blessings of God and it's hooked on and you're reeling it in. It's like you're keeping the line tight. You're expecting it. You know, God, you promised it. I believe it's coming. Come on, I want you to do this with me. I'll pretend like you're fishing. Get your rod and reel out, okay? And I want you to pretend like you're, you're reeling in the blessings of God. You know, here it comes. Okay, come on. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> well, you guys look stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I can't see you on 217 and Mill Plate and, and the Pearl, but I, I hope you're doing that with me, okay? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that, that's one of the Bible ideas of hope. It's like it's this secure thing. Like, are we reeling in the blessings of God or are we just, you know, we toss the rod aside and we're just sitting there and we're just like, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll have some fish today, maybe we won't. Or, you know, there was only one old TV commercial years ago where fish would jump into the boat, you know? I don't even remember seeing that. That doesn't really happen. <laughs> Look, if, if it, biblical hope is where you're reeling in that promise from God, you're reeling in that blessing from God, you don't just sit back and hang a sign outside your boat, fish, welcome here. There's nothing passive about hope. It's an active, confident believing, like this is for sure, this is for real. It's really gonna happen. I'm gonna land this fish. Come on, here we go. You know, get out the net. Here it comes. Everybody got it? Here's another one, number two. Hope in scripture also means something waited for, but it's a certain kind of waiting. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse eight, where it refers to God as he's referred to as the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel, Jeremiah 14, 8. In that verse, the, the Hebrew word for hope there literally means something waited for, and it comes from the idea of anticipating the arrival of a caravan that's bringing a lot of goods. The word actually means caravan. So it's the idea of, it's like, okay, this caravan, of, you know, like a 
caravan of camels or something. Imagine, you know, back in that day. And they're, they're bringing goods and, and you're anticipating. It's like, I know it's coming soon. You know, here it comes. The caravan's on its way. And then we're gonna have the goods we need and the provision that we need because the caravan's on its way. It's, it's not just waiting like, uh, I don't know if it's gonna happen. We gotta just wait and see. It's not that kind of waiting. It's more of this anticipating waiting where you're, you're kind of with an eagerness and anticipation. And, you know, sometimes anticipation's half the fun. You know, but there, so this is a positive thing. It's a, it's a positive anticipation. It's an eagerness. It's, it's like, uh, well, sometimes, you know, when I, like our grandkids come home for a visit from Cambodia or, or Baltimore, it's like we go out to the airport. We don't just sit at our house waiting for them to show up. And we go out to the airport to meet them. And we don't just say, hey, give us a call when you get here. We'll drive around, pick you up, you know. It's like, no, we go park the car. We go inside, you know, how half the airport, all the gates, you know, funnel through one place as everybody comes out. Anybody ever gone to the airport to meet somebody here? Yeah, so you know what that's like. So we go out there and there's other people and, you know, you're waiting and, and you're kind of looking and anticipating and, and it's not sitting back saying, yeah, we'll see when they show up. It's more like, okay, yes, uh, the flight just landed. It says so on the board there. So probably took them a couple extra minutes to get the kids together and off the plane. And so about now there's some people, are you from that flight? Yeah, okay. And it's like, okay, here, here they come, here they come, you know. <laughs> Why? Because as soon as those grandkids see me, it's like, papa, you know, and it's, yeah, so I'm I'm like, (laughs) okay, I want you to do all that with me, look like you're eagerly anticipating something, come on, do it, no, 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 don't say papa, that's all right, (laughs) look like you're eagerly anticipating, I want you to get into the spirit of this message, come on, give me your best eager, oh, that was really good, I like that, very good, (laughs) okay, so, Hope is not just, like, have, have you even bothered to go to the airport looking for the arrival of God's blessings? When's the last time you even looked out the window, like, oh, are they coming soon? Are they coming? Are they coming up the driveway? Or do you just sit back and say, ah, they'll knock on the door when they get here? Hope is an eager waiting. It's an anticipating wait, and it's like, it's, it's coming, I know, it's coming. Okay, here's another one. Hope is also sitting confidently. This is another word for hope used in the Bible. Now, this is not the opposite of the last word. It's, uh, it's sitting confidently. It's sitting in a sense of trusting, but it's, it's like anticipation that's based on a real solid trust. It's like you just know for sure it's coming. Hope is on the way. Psalm 78, verse 7. Psalm 78, 7 says, That they might set their hope in God. That they might set their hope in God. Now, the, the, word, the Hebrew word that's used in that verse means this, this just being real confident. So I want you to show the person next to you that just kind of nod confidently, like, just, you know, it's like, God's got this. He's got it under control. No worries. It's coming. God's help's on the way. (laughs) Okay, some of you are really enjoying this. Number four, here's another one, is expectation. 
Another aspect of hope in the Bible is expectation. Proverbs 10, verse 28 says, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. Now, the word for hope there has the idea of, of expecting. Uh, expecting. Now, you can be expecting good or you can be expecting bad. But the way it's applied in Scripture is always for expecting good. It's like you have this, this eager, confident anticipation that God is on the way, that help is on the way. You know, you have this, this expect, expecting that's really positive, that's, it's not, there's no anxiety in it. And it's, and it, it's kind of the, the, the picture that came to my mind when I was researching this one is kind of like the, just the thought of you're just waving it in. You know, it's just like, like the caravan, here it comes. You know, it's like, hey, over here, here we go, right here. Waving it in, come on, bring it in, you know. So come on, I want you to wave in the blessing of God right now. Just like, come on, over here, over here, over here, yeah, over here, yeah. <laughs> okay, over here. You're like, no, not there, not there. Here, 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 here. <laughs> okay. Number five, here's another one. Another part of the meaning of hope in scripture is a patient waiting, a patient waiting. Now, again, not countering all the expectancy and eagerness and anticipation. It doesn't really counter those. It adds another depth to it. Patient waiting. Psalm 71, verse 14. Psalm 71, 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. David's talking about hoping in God there. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. Now, there's more than one kind of way to wait, more than one way to wait, of course. You can, you can wait in a sense of, oh, I can't believe this is taking so long. <laughs> or you can wait in, it's like, let me put it this way. If we truly hope, we can afford to wait. If we truly hope, we can afford to wait. And if God doesn't answer the first day or the first moment or the first prayer or when we think and it's not on our schedule and it wasn't overnight delivery, are we patiently waiting? It's like a, a waiting that has no anxiety. It's not like, how come it hasn't happened yet? How come they're not here yet? I, it, as though I'm now starting to believe that maybe it's not going to happen or they're not going to come. It's not going to show up. It's, no, this kind of waiting is there's such strong anticipation that you can afford to wait without it cause, causing your confidence to be decreased. Wow. I think it's like waiting with a smile on your face rather than... It's more like, God's coming. It's going to happen. Caravan's on the way. Blessing's on its way. Promises will be fulfilled. Rather than, (laughs) come on, give me your best. uh... God's got this. All right. Number six, here's another one. Another part of meaning of the word is a secure sense of refuge. A secure sense of refuge. Jeremiah 17, verse seven. Jeremiah 17, seven said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. 
The word for hope there means refuge, uh, it means a secure haven, a secure place. Do we make God our first resort? Why is it that we try to figure it out on our own, solve our problems by ourselves, see if we can make it happen, see if we can be enough for this, and then, and then if we can't, then it's like, okay, well, I guess we gotta go to God. God wants to be our first resort. He wants to be our refuge. He wants to be, we always go to him immediately, not, not when we finally, you know, banged our head against the wall trying and, or we've struck out so much. You know, it's like, okay, now we'll look to God. It's like, no, he wants to always be that refuge for us, that first resort. Not in this church, but another church, two ladies were overheard talking at the back of the church one day and one said, you know, this problem's gotten so bad, I think I'm gonna have to pray about it. The other one said, oh, no, has it come to that? <laughs> like, why do we make the Lord our last resort? If you hope in God, you're going to be, he's going to be your first thought. He's going to be the, your go-to person. It's like, number seven, hope is a right response to circumstances. A right response to circumstances. Now, in the Lamentations, this is from the Old Testament as well, chapter 3, verse 26, Lamentations three twenty-six. it says, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And the word hope there, this is a very different word. It literally means to dance, like to dance with joy. And it has another possible meaning. It also means to writhe in pain. I don't know, I guess some dancing looks like it's painful, but, <laughs> but it, has, it has these two possible meanings, you know, to writhe in pain or to dance with joy. Well, those are two very opposite things. Well, I think the question is, how do we respond to circumstance? If we have hope, we're gonna be anticipating the goodness of God to be revealed. If we don't have hope in God, we're gonna say, oh no, why did that happen? Oh, not again. Oh, why me? You know, it's like there's... What's our response to circumstances when they come our way, especially on preferred ones? Are you a dancer or a writher? <laughs> you know, you know uh, it's, it's like, do you just react as a, oh, you know, or do you just like, this is a chance for God. We're gonna see God work. People who have real faith and real hope can do their Snoopy dance all the time. Okay, show me your happy dance. <laughs> we got different things going on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not much of a dancer. <laughs> Maybe I should have some of you up, come up here and demonstrate. Oh, no, we won't do that. We're short of time here. <laughs> you know, like a little child who gets all excited about something, just like... Come on, that's, that's what hope looks like. Because it's not like, well, maybe someday, I don't know, I, I, may, I wish, you know, it's like, yippee. God's on the way. He promised. I know he's gonna come through. Wouldn't that get some attention? Hmm. A couple more I'll just mention in passing. Hope, really the best definition in the New Testament is a confident expectation. 
It's way beyond wishing. It's a confident expectation, which I hope has been being, I hope has been being illustrated through these uh, different verses. But the, the ultimate meaning in the New Testament is it's the joyful anticipation of good. The joyful anticipation of good. Now, the word that's used primarily in the New Testament, in the Greek language in the day of the New Testament, the word was referring to anticipating evil as well as anticipating good. But just like the word agape, when God picked that word to use in the New Testament, he gave it his own definition. And in the New Testament, you don't find it used of expecting evil or expecting it. Like, yeah, everybody expects something. It's either gonna be good or bad. I know it's gonna be one or the other. The meaning of the word in the New Testament is only expecting good. God wants our anticipation to be only of good. And he, that's why he gives it its own definition. And, and then it's always tied with joy. Well, many times it's tied with joy, like Romans chapter five, rejoice in hope of the glory of God, or Romans chapter eight, for we are saved by hope. Romans twelve twelve, rejoicing in hope. Uh, Hebrews 3, six, and the rejoicing of the hope. It's like hope is tied to joy in the New Testament to, to just a, a degree that then makes us understand, now that we go back to 1 Peter 3.15 again, a verse we started with, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone I asks you to give the reason for the hope. Well, if the kind of hope you have is causing you to, you know, if it's like, if it's the kind of hope that just is so positive and is so uplifting, maybe that will get noticed. And maybe people will say, why do you have such confidence in the future? Why aren't you worried about what I'm worried about? How come you're not bummed out about the stuff I'm bummed out about? How come you keep thinking things are gonna be better? How come you keep thinking that there's a solution to all of this mess that we're facing? That's our big chance. Now, we've gotta care more about ourselves for this to work. And when we read this verse, we tend to focus on being prepared to witness, which I think is cool. I think we should focus on how do we get people to ask. And that leads me to my last verse for today, Romans 15, verse 13. Here's how we get that kind of hope that would be noticeable. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna give it to you in the NIV as well. Romans 15, 13, the NIV says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. If you don't have enough hope, the Holy Spirit is the one person who's gonna provide it for you. If you've been kind of down and if you've been kind of not anticipating good and if you haven't been really clued in to how much God really cares and how much he really wants to be there for you and how, what he has on the way, and even if you don't see it yet, you can be confident, you can reel it in, it's really coming. It's, it's not you know, just some wish that may or may not have. Somebody might see my Amazon list and they might not. I don't know, am I just throwing it out there in the cyberspace? You know, is this really gonna happen? It's not like that at all. It's like God is on the way. He is at work. He does fulfill his, keep his promises. He does fulfill his word. You don't have to worry about this. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be downcast. You can be doing your Snoopy dance as though it's already there. 
because God never fails. Amen. You know, I want to finish with this uh, story, true story. Um, a man, quite wealthy man, his name was Eugene Land. He uh, was uh, speaking, he was asked to speak to a uh, class of sixth graders, 59 sixth graders, in East Harlem, New York. The school there, kids who went to that school who went to sixth grade, a very small percentage ever even graduated from high school. Nobody went on to college. He's speaking to the sixth graders in this school. There were 59 of them there that day. There was a roll of them. And he decided to just, last minute, just scrap his notes. And he decided to just speak from his heart about staying in school. You know, that was supposed to be his theme. And then an inspiration came to him. He said, you know what? I'm going to take down all of your names today. I'm going to have a record of who you are. He says... Whoever graduates from high school, I'll pay your way to college. He made that promise. And in a school where hardly anybody ever hardly graduated from high school, much less went to college, of those 59 sixth graders, 90% of them graduated from high school. What made the difference? Hope. Before, it's like, I'll never go anywhere. My life will never amount to anything. How will I ever pay for college? You know. Now, you may not have the means to go do that for someone. But listen, we all can offer hope to somebody. We all can offer hope to someone. And so many times in life, hope makes all the difference. If you just can see the possibility and if you think that it really could happen. And listen, this is the, one of the best things we have to offer people in this season. Let's make this a season of so focusing on the hope we have in Christ that we can't help but spill it on to the others around us. Let's make it a point to look for somebody in, in need of hope. And how about we be courageously generous with our hope? How about we say, look, Hope has come to me, hope can come to you. Amen. Amen. How, many could, how many of you could use a little more of the Holy Spirit stirring and an overflowing kind of hope in you? I think we just need to ask. I mean, the Bible just promised it to us, so I think we just need to ask that the Holy Spirit would just stir that overflowing hope in us. And then I think we should also pray and commit ourselves that we're going to commit ourselves to being those who dispense hope to people around us in this season. How are you with me in this? Amen.